Hello there, and welcome to the Comic Book Test Director, the only comic setcast that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I'm Jason Poliath, alongside Justin Chalupka. Join us as we review and preview the world of comics, along with other facets of geek sheet culture. Justin, Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you as well. This is going to be a good year. i got a lot of stuff to celebrate. Oh, really? What, what's going on? What do you got to celebrate? Well, I got my uh, my little girl lost a tooth today, so she's all cool and happy about that. She's going to get a visit from the Tooth Fairy tonight. My uh, wife, is, I can now officially announce that uh, my wife is pregnant, and after some uh, difficulty early, she will be returning to work tomorrow, which is big, big news. She's able to eat solid food again, which is a huge leap forward, which is why I made prime rib tonight. I actually made a standing rib roast, which is the reason my dog is celebrating tonight. Well, not only is she able to eat solid food tonight, she can Mm -hmm. keep it down. Yeah, you know, that's, well, that kind of goes along with the whole eating thing. Otherwise, it's, I don't know what it is. It's something else, but it's not eating. It's anorexia. Bulimia closer, but Mm. let's not get into that. And it's a good night for me because I have a nice, big, tall glass of Marshall Zukov, the Imperial Stout from a local brewery of uh, Cigar City Brewery here in Tampa, which is very sweet, very delicious. Uh, for anybody that is a big fan of Guinness, they should go and try to find a bottle of this if they can. Um, I know a lot of places it's actually not available. I saw videos of guys That's because they're uh, local overseas, brewers. like in Denmark. What was that? <laughs> they're they're a local brewery. It's a bit easier to find them locally then. Obviously, but they do distribute out. I know uh, West Coast in California, they have places they can get it uh, as well up in the Northeast. Uh, like I was saying, though, overseas, there are places like in Belgium where beer is a big, big thing. There are guys that will pay good money if you can get your hands on a bottle and can ship it to them. So I may <laughs> try to go pick up a few more and uh, put out some ads on Beer Trader and see if I get any bites. Side business. All uh, right. Sort of, sort of, no. The whole international... Alcohol sale is kind of frowned upon by many governments. So yeah, they, they do kind of regulate alcohol. It's still regulated, not nearly as much as some other things, but all For right. Obvious reasons. We're, not, we're we, we've discussed beer, and I know we discuss beer periodically because it's cool, it's geeky, yeah. it's fun. Um, mm-hmm. But we got other things to talk about. We do. So uh, we have comics to talk about. Oh yeah. So uh, what do you want to start off with? Let's start with the one that I've been reading. The final issue of it is going to be dropping this week. I just handed it off to you, and I want to get uh, your interpretation of it. This is Punk Rock Jesus. This is one that I think you read the first issue of, and you said you weren't really that interested in it. No, no, but no. no. I, I just reading through. I got to issue five and told you you needed to go back and reread and give it another shot. Well, so actually, I handed I, it off to you. What did you think? Okay. Uh, to straighten this out, I read the preview that was in the back of another Vertigo comic. This Punk Art Jesus put out by Vertigo. And the preview was the worst possible marketing that they could have put out for this book. (laughs) Because I was actually ready to get this book. I go, Punk Rock Jesus sounds like something really interesting. Oh, wait, I just read this, and it's killed any desire I have to read this. If they just, just printed the first four or five pages... The, the kind of pre- prelude to the rest of the book that sets up one of the characters that that plays out throughout the book. If they'd have just mm-hmm. put that as the preview, I would have bought this book. But they didn't. Instead, they put in some of the information about the baby being born. Yeah. And it was, it was a pregnancy scene, and it just kind of turned me off to the book because it didn't have the feel of what the rest of this book has. So by the sounds of it, it seems like now having actually read through it, you do enjoy it. Oh, this book was really good. It's uh, a book that deals with cloning of Jesus' DNA, supposedly from the Shroud of Turin. They Uh create a clone of Jesus to then do a reality show based on raising him to become the next Jesus Christ. And so so there's your whole premise for you. Um, yeah. And as one would imagine with a premise such as that, there is a lot of questioning of science, there is a questioning of morality, a question of uh, religion, and uh-huh. a question of society and, and consumerism as a whole, particularly 
the consumerism we get through consuming media such as television, particularly shows like the Kardashians or yeah. the real world, well, the reality TV. You could just, uh, say just as much that it's also about consumption of religion as well. Yeah. Especially with the way some of the groups deal with this reality show where they are dead set against it, first because they think it's sacrilegious, then they turn around and embrace it because they believe that the, the child is in fact a savior and then they turn on, I mean it's this whole weird like love-hate relationship and all this kind of stuff. It's a very complex book, but not, I think, off-puttingly so. Uh, I, I would say if there's anybody that's ever uh, read in on punk rock ideologies, the more kind of anarchistic and uh, the antisocial aspects would really appreciate this. Well, I, let me rephrase that. They would kind of appreciate this. The ones that will really appreciate it are guys like us that just enjoy comics because it's just flat out a good comic. Well, it really is. It's a, it's a well-done, well-told story. There are some interesting setups that they are building to later. Um, mm-hmm. They've got one that I think they haven't revealed just yet. I think it's going to be a big reveal in the final issue. They've got the initial prelude, which reveals a lot about one of the main characters that you see growing through. Um, yeah. and, and In fact, actually, one of my favorite characters from this book is a giant friendly polar bear named Cola, which is a complete <laughs> send-up of the Coca-Cola polar bear, polar bears yeah, of course. that they put out during particularly the winter and Christmas season of the friendly polar bears playing and drinking Coca-Cola. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like the view of consumerism there. It's, it's interesting to see you know, where the ride takes and where it turns. And this takes place over the, the course of this uh, young person's life. It's called Punk Rock Jesus, but he doesn't actually become punk rock until issue four. Yeah. End of issue four, yeah. yeah or until, close to the end. Until that, he is a, you know, a fetus. He's just a kid. A, a, a toddler, an infant, a toddler, a, a young child. So it, this really does follow his whole uh, growth and, and what shapes him and forms him into what he becomes for the end of issue four, issue five, and what will be issue six. And so... Yeah. It, so like I said, that'll be coming out this week. Uh, so I'll be grabbing that one. I'll read it and I'll kick it over to you as soon as, uh, as soon as I'm done with it. Please do. And we can actually talk about this on the, uh, on the next show as well and give our final thoughts on it to see how it wraps up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, again, it's a, it's a six issue limited. So you know, check your local comic shop. If they don't have individuals, I suspect this will be coming out as a trade and it is well worth it to pick it up that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is a, it's a Vertigo book, yeah? Yeah, this is Vertigo. Vertigo, okay, that's so, what I thought. Uh, which, Vertigo's well, got some interesting news in and of itself, but we'll deal with that well, a little yeah. bit later. Um, yeah, we'll hit up on that. Uh, the next one we we're going to talk about, speaking of publishers that start with the letter V, Valiant, uh, has been doing really well with their relaunch in the past, uh, half of a year that they've been out. But I think the title that's really been head and shoulders above their other books has been Harbinger. And issue seven came out, uh, not this past week, but the week before. And it's, I hesitate to say starting on a new arc. The story has taken a definite turn in its telling, but it's still a very smooth, seamless continuation of the narrative so far. So it's, it's more like the next episode in a ongoing story or uh, yeah. if, if you were to take What's the a, next chapter or, or if you were to take uh, like a TV show you might have the overall goal of the characters in the TV show each season takes them on a different adventure towards that so you get so this would be the next adventure towards that end goal and yeah. it, it's just a continuation of the story as you move for, further and further along uh, yeah and Harbinger, I really feel, it's been beating up Bloodshot. It's been way better than Exo Manowar, which is the title that they led with. Exo, I feel, the, has kind of been dropping off a little bit. However, Exo is going to be leading into a large crossover. I don't know if it's crossover, but definitely a large event for the Valiant Universe. Harbinger is also leading into an event. 
Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking much more towards the Harbinger event. It's a stronger story. They're, they're telling more, you're more personal with these characters. Then. Well, it's also a bigger cast, too, so there's more characters that they can really kind of delve into and get a little more uh, color from. You have such conflicting personalities in the, the core group of what's becoming the, the sort of hero's clique. So it's, I think, a lot easier in this book to really, uh, for them to develop a, a more well-rounded story than in something like Exo, where it's just that main character with, you know, an extra one here and there that they're kind of like kind of uh, splattering onto the side along his trip. Well, the, the side, there's side characters that, that are helping to define what his goal is, and none of them are tied into him. There's no real emotional connection that they've had to him since the original opening. They've pulled <laughs> on some of those strings, but he's still much more of his solo character and not fighting as much with, uh, not, not having emotional connections to those around him. He's right. not discovering or finding new things about himself in the new world that he's living in. It, it's very yeah, much just straight up fight, which to some extent is okay because he is a soldier and that's what he does, but he's also got this whole world around him to try and figure out that they're not touching. Yeah. Which, and with Harbinger, the characters that are around him are around him because they've become emotionally invested with him in some way, shape, or form. So, like you said, there's that tighter cohesion between them, and it really gives them a stronger motivation to even be noticeable as characters in the book. Normally they would just be throwaways, but because there is this sort of back-and-forth manipulation of or formation between this core group. Well, that's, he's developing it's relationships. Really, it's, it's biggest strength. Yeah, I, even if there's not much of an emotional connection necessarily between him and a second character, there's still a relationship of how they interact together, of who they are and why they're staying together. Yeah. That, that's there. Dysfunctional though it may be. Correct. Uh, yeah. And you know, you, you mentioned in Bloodshot, which is still very much about the character finding out who he is and it started off, you know, two months after these two did, so it's yeah. still got some development, but a lot of it is developed is saying, hey, we've got this character who has had his mind played with that he doesn't know who he is, and we're still showing you how he's figuring out who he is, or establishing yeah, to out. himself who he is. Um, and then Archer and Armstrong, which, it, it's still good. They're that was just entertaining. They're entertaining. Just, that was more just a fun book. It, it really is. Some of the stuff that they could be playing with in that book, though, I, I felt that it's kind of missed some of the stuff that we were talking about in Punk Rock Jesus that they could be playing with as the dynamic between some of these characters. And mm -hmm. it seems like they want to say, hey, we've got those dynamics in here, but we're just going to gloss over the surface on a lot of them. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, dynamic relationships, Indestructible Hulk number two has a great little... uh a very heartwarming story between the science bros of Bruce Banner and Tony Stark and the way that they express their affection for each other. Um, and by this, what I mean is that I'm totally lying out of my ass and Iron Man and Hulk beat the ever-loving piss out of each other. So this was a fun book. It really was was fun to see you know, Tony completely distrusting Bruce and the idea of the Hulk being a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. that they could deploy when they needed to or if they needed to, in the case of, the, yeah. of Banner raging out and needing to be deployed. Uh, hey, this is the same Tony Stark that put Hulk on the bus somewhat literally. <laughs> yeah, sent him off planet. Shot his ass onto another planet. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, that, that distrust... Okay, I can kind of understand that. Now, the interesting thing is, towards Ooh, the I'm end, of, that. towards the end of this, I actually got the hint that maybe, even though they reconcile in the book, maybe he wasn't so far off with his thoughts. That Banner's got ulterior motives than just what he's laid out to Maria Hill as the director of Shield as to why he wants the Shield's Shield's backing, and you know how to use him to further science 
and how to use the Hulk to further Shield's motiv- motivations. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, th- there's some, well, they, Bruce they is of, way too smart to only get one. You know, line his ducks up one at a time and hit them one at a time. Yeah. He's no dummy. Yeah. There's something else there. But I, I've liked the idea of this, and it's kind of what they did with Spider-Man a, a couple of years ago, where they said, you know what, Peter Parker was this kid genius in high school. He was a complete nerd, but he was the one that cared about going and seeing the radioactive active stuff that got him bit by the spider. Uh-huh. He built his own web shooters. He developed the formula, built the web shooters himself. Yeah. So we knew he was smart. Why is he wasting his time just taking photographs for the Daily Bugle? And so they gave him a job with Horizon where he could actually use his brains. And that's kind of where they started this story off with Hulk joining S.H.I.E.L.D. so Bruce Banner can use his talents to create new things. And I I really like that spin. I wonder where they're going to go with the alternate motivations that they're starting to reveal in future and to see if Hulk still stays, or at least Bruce still stays, with S.H.I.E.L.D. or if they're going to determine he's too wild and, again, get rid of him or where, where this will go. I honestly, I don't need any of that. I, I don't want, not that I necessarily don't want, but I don't need this to be a deep book. If this were to remain the, uh, you know, surface plot is good enough for me slugfest, that I don't want it to completely throw it out. Not like, you know, AVX where it was, oh, we're just going to have people fight because we want to have them fight. Keep that little bit of good subplot going and just leave it there as a tease. Don't even resolve it ever. Just leave it there. Well, actually, what you'll probably find is that it's coming, and I'll keep picking up this book. It'll probably be the second or third arc in this. Now, probably, I'm thinking second, just because of how they long as it runs that long. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be able to keep that fun level that they got going on. It and you know, yeah, I think you just like I are are fans of Wade's work. You know, and Lanil used for the most part. For the most part, so there's times that Wade's kind of gone off the tracks, but for the most. Overall, I like his stuff. Yeah. Um, last one I wanted to talk about that we both read, and this is only issue uh, one. Issue two came out, la- no, not last week, week before last, and I did not have a chance to read it yet. And this is from Image, and it's called Clone. Um, I want to say off the bat, just from reading the first issue, it's not necessarily an original idea. At least I don't think it is. Um, it's a pretty straightforward guy has a family, has a life, doing his own thing, finds out that there's a whole bunch of clones of him, and some want to kill him, some want to save him, and he's here he's been thrown into the middle of it all. So, with that setup, it is leading to be an interesting story. Um, I'm curious to see kind of where they go with it and how they want to take this in a new direction. Uh, but overall, I would say it feels pretty solid. But I'm still on the fence of being fully sold on the book. Uh, Jason, you read issue two already, right? Yes, I did. How does that uh, grab you as far as it being worth continuing the story? All right. Uh, well, you, you, as you said, issue number one just lays out the groundwork for who this person is, what the world he lives in is, and that here's the standard sci-fi twist of, oh, he's a he's a clone. Or he's the original and there are clones of him around. Mm-hmm. Uh, issue two really starts to uh, take this into a more unique story direction. I've actually found that with a couple of books from, uh, you know, one from Image and one from Boom. Uh, and I'll talk about those in a little bit. But basically they lay out a baseline concept in the first issue, which Clone did, Freelancers did, and Comeback, all laid out a basic premise that is pretty much anything you're going to see on network television or in a basic movie. And then they could be a sci-fi two. series. What? They could be a, a, a series on Sifi. Yes. And what they've then done is in issue two, they really take it and say, here's our left turn, here's where we're going to separate ourselves from every other story about a guy who discovers he's got a clone. Or every other story about time travel. Every other story about Charlie's Angels type girls that are hired to do a job, you know, such as mm-hmm. retrieve uh, a stolen, you know, stolen cat that's, you know, not just any cat, but like a 
lion, you know, for somebody that's rich. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. And where do we take this and, you know, give it more of a, a unique story that's, you know, for these characters and what they would do or how they're going to do it different from all the others that are going on around them? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really wish you had read two because I think we could probably get into a bit better of a discussion. Um, okay. Save for another show. Yeah, well, Clone, Freelancers, and Comeback were all leaving me with kind of a, well, it's not an original concept, but it's okay. It's decent. It was, it was just good enough that I got to the next issue, which, mm-hmm. uh, for all three of them, I'm glad I picked up the next issue. Because that's where they really started to go, okay, here's where the actual story begins of how these are different from your standard, I've got a clone story, I'm traveling backwards in time, or, uh, yeah, we're Charlie's Angels, you know, hot chicks for hire. Um, So they really, you know, particularly freelancers, which has turned it into a much more personal story about who these girls are. and what they're doing with their jobs and, and how they, and with their growing up. It's not, right. it's not about the adventures. It's almost a prequel story that's actually done much better than what you would ever get out of Hollywood for a, mm-hmm. for a Charlie's Angels prequel story. And clone, I think, when you read, when you read issue two, you'll find out that there is kind of a unique twist. It, it is still a lot that is, uh, you're a standard clone fair of, okay, we've got clones and some are trying to be killed, but some are working together. And it's all about work, how those relationships interweave with everything. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll leave it with that. You know, comeback is also kind of along those same lines. Mm-hmm. Of, yep. Here's the, here's the new change. And so I, I would really say go ahead and find all three of those, pick them up. Um, there were, but all three of them are only on issue two. So. Yeah. Well, um, you had some books that, uh, I was going to borrow, but. Uh, well, two issues <laughs> and come back are two that I was going to be lend, that I'll be lending you so you can read, yeah. keep up on those. Uh, number 13 is a brand new book. Issue number one just came out. And, mm-hmm. uh, this is Dark Horse Comics, uh, Robert Love and David Walker. But it's kind of interesting because we normally don't do a whole lot of dark horse. A lot, of, a lot of their stuff are universe specific. I mean, we we both kind of branched out and picked up a Star Wars universe book. Um, yeah. My mini series ended. Yours was a mini that led led into a second mini, and I think you're going to be uh, talking about yeah, that a little bit later. Right yeah. So, um. With this number thirteen is a post apocalyptic story, where there are. Uh, Norms, which are normal humans and uh, mutants, and I forget what they call them. Uh, this is taking place, you know, well into the established world of the post-apocalyptic. It's not just immediate survival. And what they've done is, uh, they you follow this group as they find what turns out to be a, you know, strange something that looks like a normal human. But turns out to actually have uh, powers and abilities that you normally would not see in a normal human being. You know, he's got he's super strong. He's aware of a lot more things going on around him once he wakes up. And so, what you find out is there's actually three factions going around. Uh, one is the group that originally created Number Thirteen, and of course they call him Thirteen because he's got that Thirteen tattooed on him. Uh, so you've got the group of mutants that have taken him and are bringing him in to work with them. You've got the group that created him, and then you've got a group of rebels working within the, that are, that are fighting against the group that created 13. So you've already been presented with three different groups that are all, you know, kind of vying for that number 13 as he tries to figure out who he is, because he's got amnesia after having woken up. Uh, it's an interesting little concept. It's bright. It's got fun. It's fun. The artwork is, you know, very cheerful and happy. It's, it's not a sour grapes type of post-apocalyptic future. 
Uh, they give a couple of pages of just kind of setup of, you know, what happened. Actually, not even what specifically happened, just there was a change, and this is what the result has been. Uh, and then they bring you right into the group discovering and showing you these couple of factions that are going to be meeting up and uh, fighting over 13 as he tries to discover who he is and what he what his purpose is going to be in this future. The last book I'm going to talk about is Amazing Spider-Man 700. Now, uh, this book actually got Dan Slott... The but you were supposed to leave with me, by the way. I haven't seen you since I picked it up. So you'll get it. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were... Oh, okay, never no. mind. I left you uh, 698 and 699 and 699.1, I believe. So. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So you'll yeah, get yeah. you'll get 700 when I see you. No, and I thought that was one of the ones that you had left. No, it's not one that I left. So. Okay, I'm mistaken. <laughs> I, I will be uh, leaving this one with you because it is something you need to read if you can pick up 698, 699, and 700. I'm sure at some point they'll actually package these all as a trade. But the story starts in 698. And if you read the story starting 698 through 700, the reveal at the end of this is expected. And so it, it kind of makes me go, why were the people so flippant about it? This is comics. Nothing is as it seems, I think, is going to stay that way. There is, there's very little that is status quo. Uh, and so when things change from that status quo, people get upset. But <laughs> more often than not, give it a couple months. Uh, actually, they've said this status quo will be at least a year. Um, and so you're going to have, you know, the, the status quo that's set up for the Superior Spider-Man, which is the series taking over, Dan Slott will be writing that series as well. Uh, he was given death threats because of this book, but you know, I think you had to see it coming if you've been reading Spider-Man since 698. Uh, so. I say chill the fuck out, people. It's just a comic. <laughs> hey, some people take their comics very seriously. Yeah. Too seriously. Yeah, if you're sending death threats, then yeah, you're probably taking this too seriously. But, hey, look, DC killed off we Superman. We do a comic book show for crying out loud, and even we don't take it that damn seriously. Yeah, I mean, DC killed off Superman. He was gone. Actually, they kept him gone longer than they intended because the story was doing so well. And then they brought him back. So, if they DC can do that with Superman, what can happen in Amazing Spider-Man that comics can't go, hey, we're going to bring it back? Yeah. There is no such thing as irreversible in comic books. Characters die, they get brought back. Characters have been retconned. Spider-Man even had uh, one more day where he made a deal with the devil to bring back his Aunt May. So they they will go to any extraordinary It's gonna. If you're worried, don't be. Yeah. But aside from that, the story was great, and. I really enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed one of the two backup stories more than the other. Um, they were both kind of throwaway. Uh, a nice little gallery of all 700 Amazing Spider-Man covers is in there. Some alternate concepts for the 700, um, or and as well as the ones that were actually put out, their alternate covers. Uh, so you get to see what all those covers were um, in issue 700. So a couple of extra bonus things for you in there. But if you're a Spider-Man fan and you've been reading, it's certainly worth reading. If you're thinking of getting Superior Spider-Man, adding that to your pull list, see if you can get an issue of 700, and it'll help set it up. Um, they did have the Avenging Spider-Man as a point one follow-up to this that is supposed to also kind of recap what's happened in the past three issues and set up the Superior Spider-Man. So, uh Bunch of different ways Marvel's making it so that you can get on board with Superior Spider-Man. Justin, uh, looks like you've been reading some, uh, Lock and Key though. I haven't just been reading Lock and Key, I've been loving the hell out of Lock and Key. This is now the 
I believe it's the fifth volume and the final volume for Lock and Key called Omega. The second issue, I mean, it's only two issues in, and this will be a five-issue run. It has just been phenomenal. They are setting stuff up in this uh, world, in this town, that the shit is about to go down. It's about to hit and hit hard. And it's doing it in such a primal and visceral way that you feel the anticipation in your guts while you're reading it. And it is just delicious. This one, Lock and Key as a whole, by the time this is done, is going to be one of those, like, must-have omnibus books that'll collect all five volumes together because it's such phenomenal art, such wonderful storytelling, such excellent uh, possibility still, even at the end of the story. There's going to be so much possibility left of other things that could be done in and with this world that the sky's the limit. And Joe Hill and uh, Gabriel Rodriguez, I think, are really playing it smart in stepping out of this on a high note and just leaving it there because this is going to have people just slavering for more and loving the fact that they do. So I can't that, wait. Uh, I still need to bring you um, – the, the most recent, the, well, uh, actually, I think the uh, two previous, previous arc, right? Yeah. Well, there's a there's the previous arc as well, well as no, the I mean, prequel. Arc. The... There's the prequel arc as well that I have to get from you. Oh no, okay, no, no, no. The, well, the, the prequel is the previous arc. Okay, I think I need that the one was, before um, that as well. Clockworks. So. Now, Kids of the Kingdom, I know you read because we both made a comment about the uh, Bill Watterson issue. Okay, and that was the first issue of that series, so I know you read that series. All right, so, I, so I yeah, need you need uh, Clockworks, which is the prequel, prequel-ish. Yeah, it, it explains a lot more of what's going on. Not that you need yeah, it, it's, but it's kind of like, well, we've kind of told you all this. It's kind of, actually, it, it, no, the, the, with what's revealed in Clockworks, you you do in fact really need it to, to okay. truly understand what's going on. And I'm sure it'll all be included in the omnibus once oh, it's yeah. all said and done. Oh, yeah. Along with a few of the other ones too, like the. Uh, uh, the Guide to the Known Keys, and the Grindhouse one-shot that they did as well. Yeah, and if you haven't picked up any of the Lock and Key books, go track down the Welcome to Lovecraft hardcover and buy mm-hmm. it. And start with that and pick up the hardcovers. By the time you get through all of those, you'll either be ready to pick up single issues of the current arc on issue three when it comes out, or... Uh... Or the hardcover <laughs> for that one will be out as well. Which, the hardcovers for these books... Normally, I wouldn't recommend going out and getting hardcover trades, but these really are just, uh, I mean, physically, they're great books. Uh, real nice paper, beautiful artwork on the covers, lots of included artwork in the back, completely worth whatever extra cost there is with picking it up as as a, a hardback. Um, another one that's a miniseries, uh, this is also IDW, if I'm remembering correctly, is Witch Doctor. This is one that I've been reading. I know you, I think, read the first series, the first... Uh, I think I read the first event. issue, maybe first two issues of the original Witch, Witch Doctor mini. Yeah, it just wasn't really your cup of tea. No. Um, it wasn't before. It's not going to be now, but I find it just friggin' hilarious. It, the, the premise of it, for those that don't remember from when we discussed it before, is essentially uh, Gregory House from House MD, uh but as a doctor of the occult in a Dr. Tavernay kind of way. So he's actually treating supernatural afflictions as if they are medical conditions. So, you know, how do you cure vampirism? Give them a pill, and it cures them the vampirism because the vampire is actually just a parasite, you know, that type of thing. Um, this most recent one, the, the comedy on it has been ramped up a bit, so it's a more entertaining read just in that alone. Um, the other stuff, you know, the, the occultish and the, the horror aspects of it are still good, but it's the, these one-liners and situations and, if nothing else, just facial reactions and, and seeing the characters respond to some of the situations that they get in, that it's it, damn near knee-slapping that it's so funny. 
Um, something not quite so funny, but also has been very entertaining. And you mentioned this earlier, Jason, is the Star Wars book that I've been picking up from Dark Horse. This is Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi. Ooh, you're right there. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> Didn't get any on you, did you? No. Okay, good. Just making sure. Um, Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi, volume one of this was uh, Force Storm. This second volume now is Prisoner of Bogan. This continues where Force Storm left off. In the book that just came out, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of why I've been finding this so interesting, the what you would consider the Jedi Order, but this is set way, way, way in the past, even earlier than all of the Old Republic stuff that the uh, video games as of recent have been based on. Way before then, there was actually a, a group of people that called themselves the Jedi, which is obviously the forerunners to the Jedi Order. But what's interesting is they're going through the story of the creation of the lightsaber. Why it is that Jedis use lightsabers, where they came from, what they are, all that kind of stuff. And these Jedi haven't gotten to the point that they have excised the dark side of the Force from their beliefs. Instead, they see the Force as needing to be in balance, and that the dark side of the Force is just as important as the light side of the Force. So you have these, you know, standard Jedi and very Sith-like characters working in conjunction and actually working together in the storyline, which, for somebody that's a huge, huge Star Wars geek, uh, like I am and like I know Jason is, that particular concept to me is fascinating. And I find it really interesting the way that they're telling the story. Um, if you are a big Star Wars fan, especially if you like the lore of the universe, this is a book I think that's really worth picking up just to get this sort of unique perspective on a historical aspect of that universe. Um, last thing I wanted to mention real quick is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. The most recent one of the United We Stand storyline has come out. Um, this is an interesting story. It, I believe, finishes off this most recent arc. I'm not entirely positive of that, but it seems like it kind of does. Or if not, it's very close, too. But there's been a, a great dynamic between... Miles Morales, the new Spider-Man in the Ultimates universe, and Spider-Woman, who uh, the character's name escapes me at the moment, in that uh, she and other members of S.H.I.E.L.D. have begun to look at Miles Morales as sort of their salvation in the mistake they made with Peter and with his death. A lot of them... Uh, hold a lot of the guilt on themselves for his death, and with being able to train Miles and make him less likely to fall to the same failings that Peter did are, are helping them to kind of better themselves. And it's been very interesting to see that occur through these books. Um, Jason, I was uh, handing these off to you, I think, as I was reading them, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, with the last minute, with the Ultimate Spider-Man you have, yes. Yeah, yeah, except for, like, I think maybe the last book or two. But, yeah, I think even you remember when Spider-Woman first showed up, I mean, she was just relentless towards She did Miles. not want to see Spider-Man there. She thought yeah. he was insulting to the memory of Peter, and he had no reason to be there. Uh, it, Which, it, it's been very interesting to see her development now in the storyline, and not necessarily so much how her mind has been changed, although it, it has, but to understand why she had those feelings in the beginning, because it's definitely a lot deeper seated than just, I liked him, I don't like you. There was a, a, a like I mentioned, you know, that, that guilt, that resentment that she was holding onto herself, that she was reflecting onto Miles, and to see that illustrated out so well through these books has been Well, just part of it was she didn't want him there because she was worried he was going to get killed. And she didn't want exactly. to, she didn't want the guilt of his death on her like she probably you know like you were saying like she has Peter the guilt of, guilt of Peter. So. Precisely. All right. Now, anything to add to Ultimate Spider-Man, or are we ready to move on? Nope, I'm ready to move on. All right, then. Happy birthday, Stan Lee. 
nice little transition to go from Spider-Man to Stan Lee, after all. Stan Lee gave us... Yeah, the creator of. He's now... Stan the Man hitting the big 9-0. Yep, and still going strong. So, uh, God bless him. Gee, I mean, really. I mean, hell, if I'm as as spry and active as he is at 90, I will be a happy, happy man. Yes, it'll be a good time. All right. uh, What if he hangs out with Hefner? (laughs) Yeah, that's another one that... But yeah, Hefner, well, I'm pretty we, sure 90% know the secret of, to his youth. 90% of his blood is Viagra. Yup. So, alright. It's, it's the only thing keeping him upright, but up bum. Okay, uh, now, uh, for those of you, uh, that celebrate Christmas, some of you may have gotten something that was a little bit of a, uh, wanted treat. Uh, Dan DeDio tweeted out, Merry Christmas to everyone, even you, Wally. Maybe I'll see you in the new year. Which, uh, a lot of DC fans are wanting to see Wally West return to the DC universe. He had been completely missing since the launch of the New 52. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so a lot of Flash fans want to see him back. He was removed in part, DC has said, because with making the heroes younger and with Barry Allen as the Flash, they didn't feel there was room for Wally to have ever stepped in or t- stepped up to take his place in the universe as a flash. So they had him... Which is entertaining, though, because Bart is in Teen Titans, isn't he? Yep, but there's a bigger age gap there. Um, And I haven't been Mm. reading Titans to know if he has come from the future like he did in the pre-52 universe. Yeah, yeah. Where he was uh, Barry's grandson that had come back into the past. So there's also that aspect that they can be playing off of with that age difference as well. So... uh, the Dio teasing the possible appearance of Wally West. I know some people are still looking for Stephanie Brown and Donna Troy. Uh, this may just show... I don't know. This, this sounds to me more like Dan just laying his wishful thinking out and fans clamoring all over it. <laughs> now, I, knowing the Dio, he's... This well, that he's, doesn't feel like a tease to me. Uh, knowing the Dio, I think it is a tease. And... Now, for him to pull and show Wally coming into this universe this year, it may actually buy them a little bit of time on characters like Stephanie or Donna Troy, where they can say, hey, look, we've got a plan for these characters. Give us a little time. We know you want to see them, but give us some time to build this universe, and you'll see where they fit in and how we can make it better. Yeah. So, uh, one thing DC does not have time with anymore are Thunder Agents. Uh, they lost the rights to that property and uh, two other Tower Comics properties that they had been using over to IDW. So uh, if you're fans of Thunder Agents, uh, IDW has plans to release Thunder Agents comics as well as mm-hmm. Under Sea Agent and a war comic called Fight the Enemy. Um, all were Tower Comics properties. So IDW pushing out their own... Uh, or Next steps. Which I'm fine with that because IDW's been having lots of good properties lately. Yeah, they, they do a good job with their properties. It'll be interesting to see where they go. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> fans of Thunder Agents will like what they do. Uh, now, Undersea Agent and Fight the Enemy haven't been seen since the '60s, so uh, there might be a couple of uh, fans, but uh, probably not many. <laughs> a lot of them will probably just be happy to see them come out. Um, IDW probably has some ideas of what where they're looking that'll probably be fairly different from where they were when those yeah, oh, comics first came out. I think they'd have to be. <laughs> uh, up in the upper echelons of DC Comics, and mostly on the Vertigo side, uh, we announced Karen Berger going out uh, was stepping out on the last show, and DC has announced Shelley Bond will be the Vertigo executive editor replacing Karen. Uh, with her stepping up, Will Dennis has been promoted to group editor and Mark Doyle to editor of Vertigo. Uh, DC editor-in-chief Bob Harris has earned himself a senior vice president distinction. So uh, he's, his role is pretty much going to be the same thing. Uh, so he just got a little extra thing to put on his placard, but otherwise he's going to be doing the same job. It probably came with a pay raise as well. Yeah, good for him. Yep. Uh, Hank Cannell's is Senior Vice President uh, of Vertigo now, and John Ficara, the Mad Magazine Executive Editor, 
is going to be answering to Dan DiDio and Jim Lee, the co-publishers for DC. So that's kind of interesting, bringing Mad Magazine much closer tied into DC Comics. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, hopefully they'll be making fun of uh, DC more regularly now. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I still remember reading Mad Magazine and loving it. So. Oh, God, everybody did. Mad Magazine is awesome. It still is awesome. Yeah, it still I is. I just can't really bring myself to buy it anymore. Well, it only comes out. Because I'm afraid my daughter will find it. (laughs) Yeah, you do have those worries, don't you? Yep. Nothing to worry about. She can't read yet. And I'll be buying it for her. She can. can. (laughs) Getting, reading more by the day. I was about to say, I was about to say she can't read mad, but then I realized with, yeah, she probably could read just about everything. Well, Sergio Argona, she doesn't have to. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, about time for me to go find a copy of mad for her. Thanks. Welcome. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just waiting for my daughter to get a hold of one of my Vertigo books. And Daddy, what's a come? Does it? What, what is that word? Don't worry, honey. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, keep those Vertigo in your office where she can't find them. So, yeah. Uh, but what you can do is plop her down in front of the TV on December on January 21st to watch the new season of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, Based on yeah, the, she might like it. Yeah, she's more of, a, of an Avengers fan, but yeah, worth a try. Well, yeah, they're returning to Disney XD January twenty first, uh, and Yay. Walking. What? Yay! And uh, Walking Dead will be returning for season four. Now, this is not that that's particularly surprising. That's a cash cow for AMC. For them not to bring that back would be an absolute travesty. Well, the I think they might actually. You know, I think if they if AMC were to announce they were canceling The Walking Dead. I think that might actually trigger the zombie apocalypse. It is possible, although I think if they canceled Mad Men, that would probably cause it first. Uh, I think that still is getting higher ratings, despite the fact that I enjoy Walking Dead so well, much. I will say with at least Mad Men, it'll look more like a zombie apocalypse as all the drunk Dan Draper wannabes start stumbling their way towards the AMC headquarters. Yep. <laughs> uh, now, the interesting thing about Season 4 is it's going to have the third showrunner of this show. You know, yeah, of course, season yeah. one um, had it, um, what, uh, I, now I'm completely uh, blanking on his name, and uh, he still gets... Yeah, started. I can't think of it either. Um, but uh, season two had uh, Glenn Mazzara take over. Um, Glenn Mazzara led them for season two and season three. He said he's done what he wanted to do with the show, and... He's he's ready to move yeah, on. Put it back on track. <laughs> That's what he did over the past two seasons. Put it back where it was supposed to be in the first place. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know. That's it. My job's done. I'm out. Yeah. You 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 who haven't even watched season two because it's too far off for the comics for you to stomach. Yup, exactly right. Maybe I'll start picking it up on season four. Now they finally got their shit together. <laughs> they got their shit together. They're just not going to be following the comics. And you know what? Bleh. That's okay. They still got Kirkman sitting there going, this is what we did. This is where we find it. Kirkman! 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 All right. <laughs> he did do very well in Celebrity Bowling, I have to say. Uh, well, we're going to go ahead and step aside to somebody else that's in charge of stuff, and that's Brian Singer. <laughs> what? Uh, All right. Uh, that's Bri- anyway, that was a good one. <laughs> Brian Singer is uh, the director for the new X-Men Days of Future Past movie that's coming out. It'll be the follow-up to the X-Men First Class and kind of a tie-in yeah. to the original X-Men movie that Singer did. He has confirmed that Hugh Jackman will be in the movie. And really, yeah, normally we don't talk about, you know, casting rumors and, and stories, you know, it's, you know, even confirmations. We've done a little bit of it. Uh, but movies are so, yeah, they take a year and a half, two years often to come to fruition. Things change. But, you know, Hugh Jackman just seems to want to play Wolverine in everything. So I got to give it up to the guy because he's been in so many, yeah, he's been in all of the original three X-Men movies. He had a cameo in X-Men First Class. He's had his own piece of shit Wolverine movie. He's got a new Wolverine <laughs> movie coming out. So he's actually been, you know, fairly, you know, popular with playing that character. 
it'll be interesting to see who, if anybody, um, gets to play a, the plays the same character more times in in a movie or series of movies. Uh, but it, yeah, yeah, he's, he's got to be getting up there close to Connery playing Bond. Which is the only person I can think yeah, of. Yeah, actually, not to mention it. You, uh, yeah. Actually, pretty the, close. No, there, there's one other person, but it's this, but it is that same series, and that would be the actor who played Q and all but the two most recent oh, Bond movies. Oh, yeah. 20 movies of the same actor <laughs> playing Q, so. Because everybody's got to win. So. Anyway. <laughs> um. Well, right. going back to DC, um, it was interesting to see that uh, over this past few weeks, there was the sad announcement that Gail Simone would be leaving Batgirl, which I know you're a big fan of the Batgirl book. And actually, the only reason I picked it up when they launched it was Gail was writing it. And yeah, because I know you're a, a fan of her stuff. Yeah. So she was uh, rather inexplicably and quite surprisingly removed from the book. She was fired by which email. Caused, uh caused a slight ripple in the internet. Um, some people were a, a little bit perturbed by that particular move. And come to find out, lo and behold, after two issues, a new writer finally has been announced for Batgirl that the will make many, writer. many people happy, Gail Simone. Yep. So uh, they're predicting that yeah, the the two issue stand in that had been announced will probably still take place after the February issue, uh, which is mm-hmm. the end of the of Gail Simone's initial run, uh, which ends <laughs> with the death of the family arc. Um, there'll be a two issue right. stand in, and then Gail will probably re- is will return to the book. So, don't know exactly what happened there. Somebody probably got an ass chewing. And, uh, yeah, I can think of two words I can use to describe what this whole thing was. What two words? Clusterfuck. Yeah. The internet has a way of turning things into clusterfucks. Yeah, go figure. Oh, it, it's interesting because, you know, there are lots of internet campaigns for things. Maybe, you know, internet is finally starting to build up its reputation and size to be able to put bulk behind things now that they're actually listening to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I'm sure the internet went wild when they canceled Firefly, but that was ten years oh, yeah. ago, and it didn't have the bulk, the size that it has nowadays. You know that it can actually change the way that people are you know, viewing things when shows get canceled and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Sorry, DC, the mob has spoken. You will not change. <laughs> so, uh, we'll go ahead and discuss uh, IDW then, since DC is not changing. Uh, they've announced. <laughs> A new series called The Colonized. Uh, this is a new four-issue mini uh, that's going to start April. Uh, Chris Ryle and Drew Moss will be writing and drawing it, respectively. Uh, kind of an interesting little concept here. Yeah, Alien explorers inadvertently reanimate the town's dead in a secluded separatist town in Montana. You know, I see this more as being like a South Park episode. You know, the dead coming back. Oh, why did you bring us back? Oh, sorry, that was Bill. He's new. Yeah, yeah sorry, my bad. You can go it, back to being dead now. It very well may. It, it, I don't know a whole lot about it other than the basic concept uh, and that IDW is putting it out in April, but it could be a lot of fun. Uh, you see the aliens just kind of screw up and bring back the dead in this town. Yeah, it it sounds to me like it might actually take itself very seriously, which I hope it doesn't, because it would be so much better if it was an irreverent book. I, I Actually, I kind of think it's going to be irreverent, so, but we may just have to wait till April and pick up a copy to find out. Yeah. Uh, IDW has announced something else that's going to make me very happy, and that is... Uh, Chuck Dixon, who's going to be leaving his run on G.I. Joe, will be starting G.I. Joe Special Missions. So they're going to be relaunching the G.I. Joe title, and Chuck will be writing with Paul Gallucci, uh, drawing G.I. Joe Special Missions. So uh, that, that'll be a fun uh, addition to my stack as I get more and more G.I. Joe. I can't believe how many G.I. Joe titles they're able to support right now. Between the- I was say, that's just another good way to waste your money. <laughs> 
I well, waste being you know another good way to spend your money. Waste is operative. So, all right. Well, speaking of wasting money, Steam holiday seals are in full swing and uh, should be through, I believe, uh, until the end of the year. I, they may even go a little bit beyond that. I know sometimes. Uh, I hope they go a little beyond that because this doesn't come out until the beginning of the year. So. Well, the sales that they've had so far have been really, really good. The Darksider series I know went up for, I believe, $15. Um, I just picked up Doom 3 today for uh, $2.50, which, to me, that's an absolute steal. I've been meaning to go back and play Doom 3 for a long time, and I just never have. Um, and now you're... A whole bunch of really, really great PC games out there. So, by all means, keep your eyes open. Go check out the Steam website uh, if you don't have Steam installed. And just look for lots of out there. Um, an indie title that I want to do a quick little plug for that I didn't get a chance to pick up when it was on sale. I may still go back and see if it's still out there. Is called FTL, Faster Than Light, which is a neat sort of like uh, resource management on a spaceship while still going out and uh, fighting bad guys and blowing up aliens and raping planets, you know, like you do. Hooray, Faster Than um, Light Travel. There, there is in fact faster than light travel as you go from uh, stage to stage. It's basically uh, like you're being attacked and you have to maintain your ship uh, in shields and personnel and life support and all this other the miniature you know micromanagement of the ship while your FTL drive is spooling up and you have to do it all real time. So you're basically buying yourself time before you can. It, you know, you could almost say it's sort of like a Battlestar Galactica simulator. In an odd sort of way? It, it really does actually sound kind of cool, particularly if you like that kind of strategy, real-time, thought out, how do you, you know, solve it? Because it's basically just a giant puzzle. Yeah, um, well, kind of. There's more to it than that, but yeah. Um, go and find, go to Steam, uh, go to Steam's website, you can find this, the game on there, and there'll be a demo video that you can watch that'll give you a good idea of what the game is like. Sweet. I want to give them a plug because I thought it looked interesting. Another game that had me laughing in completely inordinate amount is Cards Against Humanity, the uh, holiday edition, which Jason here was uh, also wonderful to to get for me for Christmas. It's and the expansion holy, pack. It's not its own. Yeah, it, it's an expansion pack yeah, for the game. The expansion pack to the original Cards Against Humanity game. Um, this was a lot funnier than it ever should have been. No, exactly as funny that, as it should have been. Fine, if you want to put it that way, it is. But I should not have been laughing this hard at, at these things at my in-law's house because people kept looking at me funny, and there was no way I was going to explain to them some of the shit that was written on these cards. <laughs> well, they are cards against humanity. They're not cards for humanity. They're not, yeah, well, they're they're not cards, cards against, praising humanity. Yeah, they're... Cards against my familial Cards of stability. the joys of humanity. <laughs> Oy vey. Yeah. That's my um, line. Okay. So. Uh, something you were going to mention, uh, Neverland, the TV show. This is the, the British show, right? Well, it's, it's actually, it's not a show. And I don't know, it may very well have been produced in Britain. It's actually a two-part, uh, stories. They're an hour and a half long each. So it very well may have been part of, say, Masterpiece Theater mm-hmm. or uh, another one of those, just like Sherlock is. Uh, yeah. And this was a fun, you know, Neverland, of course, being Peter Pan, which, you know, we've discussed a number of different things. I'm a huge fan. My mom grew up loving Peter. You know, my mom loved Peter Pan when I was growing up, so I've become a huge fan myself. Uh, we're both fans of Peter Pan's or Faust. Yeah. And so seeing this, I go, I got to check out, see what this movie is. And I got to say, the first half of this had me completely off balance. I was trying to figure out, for the most part, yeah, they introduce a Peter, they introduce you know, some characters around him that you go, oh, those must be the lost boys that are living with Peter in this orphanage in London, and you know, slowly you start to go, you start, things start forming together and you wind up yeah, you, know, you see how they get to Neverland, and you start seeing elements of the traditional Peter Pan story. Uh, part two, particularly once you've digested all the differences that take place in the first one and how it stands out from a traditional Peter Pan story, 
you really start to see the elements lining up that lead this and turn it into a prequel for the classic Peter Pan story. It leads right up and bumps right into the beginning of the classic Peter Pan story. So you're saying it explains why he wears green tights and looks like a girl? No, that was because women are generally smaller than men and thus easier to to, uh, use on the stage pulleys to have fly across the stage and were usually cast by women in the stage play. That that usually is the explanation for that. See, now this show, this show has already failed me. <laughs> actually, uh, I'm looking do- for something plot relevant. I want a plot relevant explanation of, hey, you should look like a chick. Let me put this spell on you. Hey. Actually, he these doesn't. Green, these green tights will hide your bulge and you won't look as much like a dude. Here you go. There, he actually solved. doesn't uh, wear uh, tights in this at all. And is that actually wears pretty much a uh, suit from the 19th century London or so. Uh, and as mm. he goes on, you start to see some of it get torn and tattered. Uh, there are periods where they're hanging out with the Indian tribes. And so you start to see uh, some of the Lost Boys wearing Indian clothing uh, mm-hmm. because their clothes are tattered or need to be cleaned. So... Uh, Throughout. Are the Indians just as racially insensitive in their depiction as the uh, good old original Disney? No. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, th- but there is some really cool and, at least from what I've seen, unique story points and elements to the telling of this and how it came to be. Uh, so, yeah, I I really enjoyed it as a Peter Pan fan. After watching the first half, I wasn't sure if I could recommend it to my mom, being that a lot of it is so far from what you expect Peter Pan to be. Uh-huh. And they bring it right back. Uh, by, by the time you get to the end, you've come full circle, and it is Peter Pan. Uh, it does suffer a little bit from budgetary constraints. There are some points where you're going, okay, that was just a bad effect. Uh, some of it, you're going, okay. That that's done much better. So, uh, yeah, some of it is you just have to be willing to go. Okay, there, you're making some concessions for you know, the budgets of it being a TV movie as mm-hmm. opposed to a major motion picture. A hey, movie, movie. Uh, so, uh, overall, though, uh, I really did enjoy it. Uh, again, the first part had me a bit off balance, but. It, Turned out to be really good, really fun. Uh, overall, was just something enjoyable to watch, and I'll, I will definitely give it a thumbs up to watch. Cool. So, yep. And uh, what else you got? That's actually it for me. There were a couple of things I was going to mention, but uh, we already hit on the beer at the top of the show, so I'm not going to go back into that again. Um, uh, the other thing, there was a book I got for Christmas that I was maybe going to talk about a little bit. Um, What's it called? No, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention it quick, yeah. just because it's worth mentioning. Um, Cook's Illustrated, which comes from America's Test Kitchen, released a book this holiday season called The Science of Good Cooking, which is something like, I believe it's 30 or, yeah, uh, maybe more than that, I think. But it's essentially cooking concepts, not recipes, not techniques per se. It's... Sort of, these are the, the the ideas you should always keep in mind when cooking because as long as you understand this stuff, you'll always cook things well. And it's ideas like uh, gentle heat maintains uh, the tenderness of cooking roasts, cooking meat, uh, but applying high heat is what adds flavor. So if you cook a roast, brown it over high heat first then put it in a low-temperature oven and cook it for a long period of time if you want that nice, juicy, tender meat. Other things, like if you want to make uh, smooth and fluffy, delicate eggs, make sure to add fat to it, like half and half or something like that when you scramble them, so that way the fat gets in between the proteins, stops them from coagulating together as tightly, which gives you a fluffier egg. It's a bunch of different concepts along these lines, and there's stuff for baking and pickling and all other types of cooking. There are recipes in it, too, that 
which coming from America's Test Kitchen, these are recipes that even if you completely screw up the recipe, you'll still probably end up with a fairly good tasting item of food because they've made these recipes in such a way that they are truly foolproof. That if you slip up here or there, as long as the basic concepts are still maintained, you'll get something good out of it. So it was a great book. I'm, I'm glad I got it for Christmas. I'm reading through it now. Uh, it's kind of cookbook-ish, so it's not really a cover-to-cover read, but I'm hitting through the concepts that are really important to me. I mentioned earlier I made a prime rib, and that was concept number one, was that low heat to create a tender roast. And the prime rib I made was easily on par as something that you would get at a local steakhouse or from any really good steakhouse for that matter. So, so it was definitely worth it. it it's worth, uh, if you enjoy cooking, if you enjoy just bebopping around in the kitchen, it's, it, it's a book that should be picked up. Okay. So you're reading this book then? Not cover to cover per se, but I've been hitting through concepts on the things that are kind of most important to me. So I'll be able to show up at your house and get edible cooking at some point in the future by the time you get done with this, right? That's the theory, but it also has me coming up with kind of weird crap. Like the next time I make scrambled eggs, I'm going to try scrambling in avocado with them because avocados are mostly fat, and I want to see if that makes the eggs nice and fluffy and will add avocado to my eggs. Do me a favor when you do that. Serve some Don't ham. Don't call you. Serve some ham. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Green eggs and ham. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> okay. Done. <laughs> and uh, actually, I actually think that pretty much wraps us. Yeah, I think we are, in fact, done. All right, then uh, check us out. We release episodes on the 1st and 16th of every month. Our contact information is at about.me slash comicbooktesseract. That's where you can get our website, Facebook, G+, Twitter, email, text us, or leave us a voicemail. All of it available at about.me slash comicbooktesseract. So go ahead and check that out. Now for Justin Chalupka, I'm Jason Polieff, and we'll see you next time we step inside the Tesseract.